If you would, please take out your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Acts. It's right after the four Gospels and before the letters. As we turn to God's Word, let's turn to Him once again, asking for His aid and assistance. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, as we just sang, we ask that You would speak to us as we come to You to receive the food of Your Holy Word. Indeed, Father, would You take the truth of Your Word and plant it deep in us? Would You shape and fashion us in Your likeness? Father, we desire to be changed. We know that Your Word and Spirit are what changes us. And so we pray that they would be operative not only for the next few minutes, as we spend some time in these first few verses of Acts, but indeed for the rest of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here's a new series, uh, Looking Back and Moving Forward, an exposition of the book of Acts. You know, our most recent series was a series on um, the Apostles' Creed, which I think is necessary every now and then, but our bread and butter is to go back and go through books and letters um, of the Bible, and as someone explained it to me years ago, and I think it's, it's significant, that if you just have a topical, that's all your diet is, then, then you're holding the microphone and asking God questions of His Word, and you've also got to have the wisdom to know what questions to ask. But when you're going through a book consecutively, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, um, God's got the microphone in His hand. And you can't skip around to, to jump over the difficult things or actually stay for months in a particular favorite place. This helps, as Paul would say, the whole counsel of God. And so we're back to marching through a book, and I'm really eagerly looking forward to being here in Acts with you all. Well, why Acts? Or expanded, uh, why is the book of Acts in the Bible? What's its purpose? Well, literarily, for you English majors out there, it is to provide a transition between the four Gospels and the epistles or the letters to the churches and individuals and to provide a lot of background for that. Indeed, it's not only uh, got a purpose literarily, but historically to record the history of the establishment and expansion of the church in particular, the history of the mission of the early church to provide a background for the letters. And then there's a third purpose, practically, or as far as I'm concerned, pastorally, to edify believers, to strengthen faith by showing that Christianity is grounded by the acts of God in history. To show that the gospel proclaimed then is the same gospel proclaimed now. And as we work our way through Acts from beginning to end, we will see that Christianity at its heart, at its core, is not what we have to do for God, but rather what God has done for us. And we will see that clearly in Acts. Well, now that we have an idea as to why Acts is in the Bible, let's turn to the book itself. First, we're going to make a few comments on the entire book of Acts, an Acts overview of sorts, to get the big picture. 
And then we'll spend the rest of our time looking at the first five verses. Um, We're going to read the first five verses now and probably once again. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Acts, the author and the audience. This is part two of the two-volume work, Luke Acts. And so Luke is the author. Luke is not a Jew. He's a Gentile. We see in Colossians chapter 4 that he's referred to as a physician. He's traveling with Paul. You'll see later in Acts where the, uh, he changes some things to a plural that we did this and we did that. And there's evidence that Luke went on some of the second parts of the second and third missionary journeys with Paul. Now get this. Luke, the Gentile, writes more words of the New Testament than Paul does. He writes more words of the New Testament Then John does. If you look at all of Acts and all of Luke. Well, who's the audience? Well, you see it right there in verse 1. This man named Theophilus, a probable patron of of, uh, Luke. Somebody who kind of supported Luke. He could have been an official. We don't know a whole lot, but we do know his name uh, literally means um, a friend of God, even a lover of God. So specifically to Theophilus, just like Luke was as well in the beginning, but it's also to the church. It's included in the scriptures. It's to all believers then as well as now. We believe that Luke was written somewhere around 60 to 63, uh, excuse me, that Acts, or Luke wrote Acts somewhere in the early 60s A.D., and there's a, the occasion is multifaceted. It's, as we say, for historical purposes, for theological purposes, for evangelical purposes, for apologetical purposes. In other words, Luke, he's a writer, but he's a historian. He's a theologian. He's an evangelist who is commending the faith. He's going to be an apologist who's defending the faith. So much for the author and the audience. Let's think about the content and structure. 28 chapters. 1,007 verses. If you want to try it, it takes about two and a half hours to sit down and read beginning to end. Maybe you can try it this week. Take two and a half hours and read the book of Acts. Now, there are several ways to understand and benefit from the structure and the organization of the book. You can look at it from a personal standpoint. Uh, There are two primary apostles in the book, Peter, then Paul. In fact, the book almost divides in half, the first part about Peter, the second half about Paul. 
It can also be viewed geographically, as you see in uh, chapter 1, verse 8, about being witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's a road trip across the Mediterranean world. It's also demographically. It's Jews and Gentiles, and you will see the movement of the gospel across racial, racial, ethnic, and cultural barriers. You can also see that a structure is structured progressively. And Paul, excuse me, a Luke has seven progress reports. If you turn to chapter two, verse forty-seven, you'll see at the end. And the Lord added to their number. Day by day, those who were being saved. If you turn over to 6-7, for example, you'll see, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. So there's progress. Now, like all the biblical authors, Luke selected, arranged, and presented his material for a purpose. Of course, guided and directed by the Holy Spirit, as all the human authors of Scripture were. Acts is an orderly account that's put together to proclaim and give certainty. It's not less than history, but it's certainly much more to inform and strengthen faith. As I hope we will see, Acts proclaims good news. Acts does not present and offer good advice. Now the title. Bibles tend to uh, put a different title. Mine here before me says the Acts of the Apostles. But by the second century, that is is indeed what the church had kind of uh, put on this particular book, the Acts of the Apostles. And yet, if you think about it, the Acts of the Apostles seems to put an overemphasis on the human element. So there's a corrective. Some people say it's not the acts of the apostles, it's rather the acts of the Holy Spirit. But then you've got an overemphasis on the divine element. And therefore, some kind of balance is needed. And here are some other suggested titles that I found through some commentaries. The Acts of the Risen, Ascended, Conquering Lord Jesus Christ. The continuing words and deeds of Jesus by His Spirit through His apostles. The ministry of the ascended Christ through His church. And from one of my former professors, Dr. Richard Gaffin, is this cumbersome, but I think really helpful title. The acts of the exalted Christ by the Holy Spirit in the church, founded by Him through the apostles. Did you get it? The acts of the exalted Christ by the Holy Spirit in the church founded by him through the apostles. It's somewhat cumbersome, but I think it captures so very well the breadth and the depth of acts. Now, Christianity is set apart from every other world religion. We know that. The founder continued his work. You see, we believe that the historical Jesus who lived, and the contemporary Jesus who still lives is one and the same and is active here and now by His Holy Spirit. Now before we go further, a word of warning. There is a danger as we come to God's Word and Acts in particular. And that is this. 
Is this narrative account descriptive or proscriptive? In other words, does it just describe as in history or does it dictate as in teach? Well, what is normative? Some folks have an all or nothing approach. In other words, it's only descriptive. Other folks would say, oh, it's all didactic in teaching. However, the didactic must guide us in evaluating and interpreting the descriptive. And so in view of this danger, safety is found in this. The infallible rule of interpretation of Scripture is the Scripture itself. We read at the end of the first chapter of the Westminster Confession of Faith. In other words, Scripture interprets Scripture. No verses can be isolated and taken out of the context of their chapter of the book of the entire Bible. You see, every heresy out there in the past and in the present can be supported by one or two verses of Scripture. But they can't be supported when in the context. And so that'll be important as we go forward. Well, now let's turn to our text and look at it in some detail. In this introduction to the book, in these first few verses, Luke takes Theophilus and his readers, then and now, in two directions. Looking back at the past and looking ahead to the future. I think it's going to be important. I'm going to read it one more time. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Well, let's look back at the past. First of all, let's look at the time between the incarnation and the resurrection. What Jesus began to do and teach is recorded in the gospel according to Luke. Remember the start of his public ministry. The spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim, we read in Luke chapter 4. And later in that chapter, we hear this from Jesus. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God, for I was sent for this purpose. You see, the mission of Jesus is to proclaim and to preach. To be sure, he also heals He teaches, but you can say that he came to proclaim and preach in particular about his life, his death, and his resurrection. Well, not only does Luke want us to look back to what he wrote in his gospel account of the life and ministry of Jesus, but here in the first few verses of Acts, he wants in particular for us to look back at what Jesus was doing with his disciples during the time between his resurrection And his ascension. What exactly is going on for those 40 days? Have you ever wondered about that? The time between the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus. In a word, Jesus spent time with those he had chosen. His 11 
apostles. And notice, one of the things Jesus did was He gave commands through the Holy Spirit. We, we see that in verse 2. He gave commands through the Holy Spirit. What commands? You can probably sum it up with the Great Commission. Not the Great Commission as you see it in Matthew 28, although that is quite true. But look back with me to Luke 24. Luke 24, we heard it earlier, verse 47. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. That's the Great Commission found in Luke. So Jesus, during this time, gave His disciples commands. Jesus also strengthened their faith. He provided personal assurance. Verse 3 Many proofs. He presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs. You see, the disciples needed to recover from a double shock. Double shock, you say. Well, what's that? The crucifixion is incredibly shocking to the disciples. But guess what is also incredibly shocking to the disciples? Even though Jesus had told them at least three times, the resurrection. They needed help to recover from this double shock. They also needed to be prepared to face what the world would say terrible odds, persecution. They needed to be absolutely confident that Jesus had risen from the dead and was alive. They needed to be solid as a rock. And how did Jesus do this? We, we saw it by giving many proofs of His resurrection, by spending time with them. I love the detail of Scripture. What did Jesus do with them? Kids, what did He do? He ate with them. I heard a big kid say that. Um, he ate with them. You know, think about this. Um, how, do, how do you know you... How do, people, how do you demonstrate your love for people? Yeah, you can tell them. But how about being with them, wanting to be with them, eating a meal with them? Jesus, after his resurrection, knows what the disciples need. He's providing himself to them. So Jesus gave commands, Jesus strengthened their faith, and he also taught. Notice how verse 3 continues. He, he's speaking to them about the kingdom of God. Uh, Jesus is still lecturing at the school of discipleship. School is still in session. It's advanced training. If you look back to Luke 24, what Stan wrote, read a few minutes ago, there are two main lessons. Jesus is saying, first of all, the Bible is all about me. Second, he's, he's teaching them how to preach the gospel out of the Bible to call all people to repentance and faith. Now here in Acts... The subject is the kingdom of God that, that Jesus is teaching and that the disciples will teach. It's the reign and the rule of God. We'll see in Acts the already and the not yet of the kingdom. It's been inaugurated, but it has not yet been consummated. You'll notice that Acts begins with Jesus talking about the kingdom of God. And interestingly, it ends in chapter 28 with Paul in Rome talking about about the kingdom 
of God. You see, Luke Acts tells the story of Jesus establishing his kingdom. Salvation accomplished through his life, death, and resurrection. And salvation applied through the word, by the Holy Spirit, across the world, through the gospel, as it's proclaimed by the church. So those 40 days were days of preparation and anticipation. But after this initial days of waiting, the entire movement of the book of Acts is forward. In time, over a period of 30 years, and in geography, outward from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, which at that time would be Rome. So secondly, let's look at this movement of looking ahead to the future. Look with me at verses 4 and 5, because Jesus gave commands here. He ordered them not to depart, but to wait. Don't depart from, that is, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the promise of the Father. What is the promise? It's the gift of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In the upper room discourse from uh, John 13 through uh, John uh, 17, we see Jesus teaching about the coming and work of the Holy Spirit who will be a helper to teach and calls to remember, a helper who will bear witness about me, a helper who will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit, the helper and the guide that Jesus is promising. Well, let's think for a moment about Jesus' own ministry when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Remember that Jesus received the Holy Spirit at his baptism. It was a sign of his anointing by the Spirit. Remember after his temptation in the wilderness, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit for ministry. And the same Spirit that encouraged, energized, and equipped Jesus for ministry will soon be given to the apostles and all believers. So let's think for a moment, not about Jesus' ministry, but rather Christian ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. It sort of goes without saying, but it should be said. The Holy Spirit is absolutely essential for ministry. Because only after being clothed with power from on high will the apostles begin to be able to fulfill their task. And that will be the case for us as well. A few years ago, I, I read one of uh, the booklets that we have um, some of, uh, and it was entitled, What is Biblical Preaching? And in it, the author says this, Someone used to say that the most penetrating question you could ask about any church situation was this, what is happening in this place that cannot be explained in merely human terms? You see, if you can explain it by, this church has a charismatic, winsome, gifted teacher. And if you say, this church has a marketing strategy that is second to none. And if you can say that this church is just full of confident, put-together people... Why would the Holy Spirit be among us? Anytime someone repents of their sin 
and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, that is evidence, not of marketing, not of uh, great teaching. It's the mark of the Holy Spirit at work. So what's the last command of Jesus? The last command of Jesus. Well, most folks say it's the uh, Great Commission. Well, no, it's not. The last command of Jesus before he returned to heaven is stay and wait. Stay and wait. How do you all like that? You know, for 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 a number of us, we cry out to the Lord for some kind of relief, some kind of direction. And you know what he answers? Stay and wait. Stay and wait. Trust me. Who's in that boat right now? Yeah. Stay and wait. You know, it's a command of Jesus. And I was thinking yesterday as I was watching a sports practice, I was thinking, I'd never seen it before. After he had given commands, then in verse 4, he ordered them. You know, Jesus is our Savior. He's our friend. He's also our commanding officer. He commands us. He orders us. And my friends, his commands are good. His orders are good. Stay and wait. Well, without question, the movement of Acts is forward both in time and in geography. Yet in these first five verses, Luke asks the reader to pause and look back to what Jesus began to do and teach before looking ahead to all that Jesus continued to do and teach by His Spirit through His apostles to the church. So back to the question, why Acts? Why Acts? Yeah, literarily, historically, practically. Well, how about this quote that you may have read in the weekly email preparing for worship? Of course God gave us the book of Acts to do more than satisfy our historical curiosity. Like all scripture, its purpose is to inform and deepen our faith in Jesus Christ. Acts does this in a special way by letting us view how Jesus kept his promise to be with his church and build his church through the personal presence and power of the Holy Spirit. So have you figured it out yet? Has it dawned on you yet? Acts is the display of Jesus' promise, the fulfillment of Jesus' promise, I will build my church. It's the work of Christ, both salvation accomplished as in finished and still being applied, salvation as it were unfinished. Acts is the story of the first church plant, the church in Jerusalem. We'll see that Luke does not overlook the small beginnings of the church or the big problems of the church. Because we will see that the church is always under constant threats of persecution from the outside and conflict on the inside. But here's another question for us, and it's the last question. Why Acts now? In other words, why 
Would the study of Acts be useful now, at this time, in the life of grace and peace? Well, how many of you know the history of grace and peace? You see, our roots go way back, long before people in northern Kentucky started praying, before they reached out to the PCA in 2005, before I was called by the Ohio Valley Presbytery in 2006, and before I arrived in August of 2007, before public worship began in October of 2008, you see, the history of grace and peace goes all the way back to the first century and before. I want you to look around right now, seriously. Look around. You are worshiping with people that you may not have naturally befriended or been attracted to. People that apart from Christ, you may not have much in common with. People that aren't like you. Yet people from many different backgrounds become one congregation. You see, we are learning and we will continue to be learning how to love one another. How to work through conflict. How to accept and welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. And in doing so, we display the work of the gospel, and we will see that in Acts. You see, Acts was given to instruct us and encourage us in the mission of the church in general and this church in particular. And what is the mission? Mission being Latin, missio, to send. And so the church, that's you and me, is being sent by God into this world to declare the truth of God and to demonstrate the love of God. And so as we make our way through Acts, we'll be instructed and encouraged in the mission of the church, the mission of this church. We'll study our mission, and by God's grace, we will go about carrying out our mission. That is our calling to be sent into the world to declare the truth of God and demonstrate the love of God that is found only in Jesus Christ. My friends, this is what we can look forward to as we look back and move forward. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this particular book that you have seen fit to be part of your holy scriptures. And Father, we believe it absolutely to be history. But it is more than history as we will see your word at work and your spirit at work then as well as now. Father, would you be pleased to open our minds to understand this book, open our hearts to embrace its teaching, and strengthen our hands and feet to run toward one another in love and to run out toward others with the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. For we pray in his name. Amen.